do something, make some kind of progress, be in motion. And that guidance is more likely to come. When you choose the positive, whatever you stare at becomes a reality. And then you start to realize that all of these positive things begin to occur to you. Consciousness is always evolving and our present perception becomes our conscious reality. Is life happening for you or is it happening to you? A life of authenticity is a life of skillfully practicing your values. You are perfectly human and even when we stumble, we still stumble forward. If you seek truth and move in love, then your family. I invite you to have a seat at our table. You are listening to an authentic outlier, the nocturnal therapist himself, Harry Turner. Hello, hello, hello. Welcome to another episode of the Is That So Show. We have a great one today. We have our sister, Sharon Roth. She's here to speak about that inner spark. All right. She, Ms. Roth, Roth, she's a boomer, a baby boomer, and she not only has a message for boomer, but I'm going to, I'm going to ask her to try to make that connection to some of the millennials out here when it comes down to living living their spark, finding that spark and living through that spark. Because I don't believe that that's just a boomer issue. I believe that that's actually a human issue. Consider this. We are we're brought into this world and we are we're born tabula rasa, which means empty slate. And we have this this vexing question that stays with all of us. And it's more prevalent in, in certain periods, but the question is always there. And that question is, who am I? Uh, and so the Is That So show, we've invited Miss Sharon Rolf on to discuss how we can better be lit up about life, you know, via finding our purpose and uh, redefining ourselves, even if we if if we've transitioned from a space, then how do we redefine ourselves in this new space? How do we redefine our values, what we find meaning in? You know, so I don't know how the conversation is going to go. All I know is that I am happy to have her on. I'm honored to have her on. But real quick, before I introduce her, and she's also she also has a new book coming out, y'all. So be on the lookout for that. The book is Fresh Courage in Retirement. Fresh Courage in Retirement. So she's all about retirement. And her quote is, anything not growing is dying. Now, y'all done heard me say anything not growing is dead. And we ought to be growing it the day we die. Far too many times for me not to not to speak on that a little bit. So when I pull her in, we're going to expound on that a little bit more. So again, welcome to this evening's session, this evening's episode of the Is That So show. And for those of y'all who don't know, Is That So-ness is all about that question, or rather that conception, that conceptualization of equanimity. Is that so is about equanimity. It's about redefining what type of relationship you want to have at the present moment. Consider how many times you've quote unquote flashed out or reacted in a way that that was unbecoming or not really values based only to later on experience shame as you criticize yourself for operating in that space. Many of these moments when we are triggered would be diffused if we adopted the is that so mentality, which is to to say what type of relationship if you say is that so no matter what happens, you know, if you just pause for a second and say is that so it gives you the opportunity to decide if you would like to to choose what type of relationship you want to have with the present moment. You know, I got a, a real quick present story. So many of y'all know I was a mental health clinician in a multi-level security prison there. And I, one morning I was walking 
And I don't know what it was. I forgot that I was, I guess I was in the maximum lockdown area of the prison. And I'm just sitting there with my cup of coffee. It's early morning. And I walk up to the first cell and I say, good morning, sir. And he's, this man goes on a tirade. I mean, he's laying down in his bunk now early in the morning. And I'm here just as chippery. Good morning, sir. F you, you old bald headed working for the people, working for the people as BBB. I mean, it was, I th- he said so many curse words that I think at some point he started making up curse words about me. It was, it was, it was tough. So the whole time I'm shocked and appalled because all I said was good morning to this person. And I must say in that moment, I most certainly in that moment of being perplexed, I most certainly was like, is that so? I give you a good morning and this is how you return. This is this this is this is reciprocity for you. Cursing me out like a dog. huh? But that moment, you know, to, to be able to pause and say to myself, OK, this isn't about you, Harry. This person is locked down 23 hours a day. All you did was walk up to him with some cheerfulness and say good morning. That did not warrant the response. And so this person was projecting outward what they felt on the inside because they were truly incarcerated, like physically incarcerated. Living in truth or being lit for life, the reason why this mission of of assisting others and developing the audacity to live unapologetically, unapologetically authentic is so important to me is because the worst prison to escape is a prison that you can't see, touch, taste, or smell. And is the prison that, that, that we make and hide ourselves in that consists of our fears, all of our insecurities, all of our sense, uh, the sense of worthlessness, you know, and then we are feeling it even more so now with the pandemic, the epidemic rather, the epidemic that is loneliness. And dare I say, I'm not one to change the warning or the, the severity of the situation, but I say the pandemic called loneliness. Many people don't understand why there is that intense loneliness and that loneliness is a representation of a disconnection that we have. It's not about the people that you, that you have around you because you could be around a group of people and still experience loneliness. It's about how connected authentically are you to people and to life in general. So I'm excited to have Ms. Rolfe on. And so without further ado, I'm going to invite on Miss Sharon Rolfe to the Is That So show. It is so, Harry. <laughs> welcome, welcome. Is that so? Is that so? <laughs> Thank welcome, you for welcome. having me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You're very welcome. It's, it's definitely an honor on my end. You know, when I learned about your Reggie profile, I was like, this is this is a unique individual here. This is a very unique individual. So let me just formally introduce or rather give you the permission to I mean give you the the opportunity to formally introduce yourself as I put up this fancy title letting people know about you so can you introduce yourself to the people real quick I'm gonna I'm a step back for a second okay I have become over my career a behavioral scientist I love bringing out the best of the potential in people so that's always to me the the best I think there's a golden nugget inside everyone and my unique service that I provide to people is helping them live from their inner spark. I call it the essence, but some people call it even, I I actually have started calling it DNA, what you were born with. When you're true to your heart, living from your heart kind of flows effortlessly. So I am now doing a series on Instagram called the Queen of Courage. And hey, I used to be invisible, feel invisible because I was in the middle of five and 
and um, being invisible is kind of normal territory, but it was also safe for me when I got good grades and don't, not rock the boat because that was safe in my family because there was there was abuse going on. But I've come out of my shell in retirement. <laughs> oh, wait, 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 wait. Cause so you're not going to just drop that bomb and then move on past that. So tell me, you know, you said that you mentioned abuse. So tell me how, you know, you just talk a little bit about that and how that was germane to your to your journey. You know, well, my my older sister had a baby by my dad and it was kind of, you know, nobody talked about it that much. But I saw it, you know, practically on a daily basis, there being this special relationship. And the thing that affected me, Harry, was I I said, how many times, thank heavens, he keeps his hands off me. So I didn't have the right kind of relationship with my dad. And yet little girls need their dad's support and approval and, you know, affirmation that you're growing up to be a nice young lady. And my strongest memory was being ridiculed at the dinner table for being, I was taller and bigger than other kids my age. And yet he was ridiculing me. And I, I said, well, I finally said, I don't need to put up with this at the dinner table. And I was walking off. Now I like to eat. So that was a big decision. And he made me come back to the table and he put his arm around me. Your grandfather, mom's side and your grandfather and dad's side is both taller people because my parents were short. You come by this, you know, legitimately. But to be ridiculed by my dad was was hard to handle. Yes, yes. And so talk to me a little bit, uh, uh, talk to us rather a little bit about how did that impact your your journey, you know? Well, like I say, I, I got good grades and, and, you know, didn't rock the boat and be obedient as much as possible. I love to learn. So education was kind of a out for me, I guess. But I, you know, I did the traditional, you know, being responsible and uh, applying myself to work and I got all my education, two-year, four-year, my graduate degree, all on my own. And I didn't get a lot of support with that, but I was just doing what felt comfortable to me. My, I never did. Well, my job, my last two, three years at Boeing was where I actually got to use my behavioral science. But the thing that probably is more of a thread is I've always had since a teenager a sense for potential both the mystery of my potential and the potential of anybody else out there. And after all, I think God puts a yearning inside of us to, to know the mystery of life for us. Like you said, who am I is kind of that mystery of life. And through my friends over the years, I would help them rewrite their, their resume perhaps, or, gives them some guidance as far as which turn they should take with their with their career. I remember telling one young man, <laughs> he wound up growing to be seven foot tall, but at the time we know him as about six foot tall. But he, I told him, you, you know, a, a parked car, that steering wheel in a parked car is of no value when it's parked. A steering wheel is only valuable when you're in motion. So a good principle about careers and making decisions that do something, make some kind of progress, be in motion. And that guidance is more likely to come 
by either your circumstances or your friends or whatever. But sitting on the couch doesn't count. <laughs> all right. All right. Okay. 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 So I hear it. I hear that spark. All right. So you've been through a lot. And I noticed that those that have this spark, oftentimes they've been through great adversity in their lives, you know, great, great, great adversity. And when you're talking about your sister having a child for your father, that's, that's something that's not common at all into, you know, the amount of judgments that occur, you know, self-judgment I'm talking about now. I'm talking about the judgments that we make on ourselves because we don't have a a normal rather upbringing, you know, in the way that people view these things. You know, how could you over how did you overcome the stigma of of being brought up in so much trauma, the stick, your own personal? I'm not talking about outside environment. I'm talking about that voice, that self-hatred voice that all of us have to fight through to find our authenticity. How did you overcome that? Well, I probably, I distinctly remember being one of my college classes. They paid for me to have my first couple of counseling sessions. And they made me tell them why they were doing it. They were doing it because I was worth it. Mm. I was worth it. And I had to say that to them. So I can still remember that. So, but I, I know uh, I've always been brought up in a church family and there were times when I was doing my recovery work that I would go to church and I would hug people. So I would get a hug. And other times I felt like if somebody come up behind me and said, boo, that I'd crumble like Humpty Dumpty, you know, it was, it was a tough process. And yet I chose a journey in my education that demanded my facing my healing and recovery work. Oh, and bless you for that recovery work. I'm so grateful to have you here because that 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 level of story, so many people, so many times, and I tell people we're not our story, right? And so, so often we get caught up in this narrative that is our story, but we are not our story. We're much more than that. We are our values. That's what truly defines who we are. So I have a two-part question that I'm going to put up here as one. All right. So first off, for the people, for the people out there, what is a behavioral scientist? Not just a psychotherapist asking what a behavioral scientist. What is a behavioral scientist? And then B, how did you move from behavioral scientist to retirement essence coach? Well, like, what was that transition like? Well, uh, most job postings for a behavioral scientist are wanting people to work with people with addictions. I don't want to go there. (laughs) I want to develop potential and and bring out the good in people. Now, maybe some behavioral scientists are really good at that, but I wanted to work with people that were wanting to learn and grow. And I'm not sure addicts are willing to make, it's a hard road, I think, to maybe do that learning and growing. So. I instead would rather collaboration. Okay, so I'm also I'm also a certified knowledge manager. And one of the principles about knowledge management is when Harry puts what he knows out on the table and Sharon puts what she knows out on the table, the potential of new knowledge can germinate there and we have something we've never had before. So with collaboration and and looking at what Harry brings, and I will 
look at what we have in common. I'll look at how he spark the light sparks up, you know, his eyes spark up when he talks about certain words. And, and then I'll build on that. Where is that golden nugget in Harry that we can, you know, build a fire under? So the traditional behavioral scientist is not what I am, but how that transfers into, okay, my last job, I've always considered myself a therapist, I mean, facilitator, because I like to make that road of success smoother for people, you know, that I'll come alongside them or right behind them a foot or two and say, oh, why don't you try this? Why don't you try that? Well, a facilitator greases the skids for success. And that was my last job. And I was called an empowerment facilitator. So that's that's a, a good title for me. I like that. But I'm still empowering people. I'm empowering boomers to be empowered to live their best life now. And often when we don't have our business card anymore, you know, we we don't have a title. We don't have a team to work with. We don't have something to do that gives us value, a job to perform. So who are we? Oh, okay. I, I have these little blocks. This is, I love color. I love sewing and I love words of wisdom. So have you forgotten who you are? Without a business card, there's not that much about Harry that changes. Your surroundings and your day changes, but who... You still have the same colleagues, education, running ability, trombone player, you know, that doesn't change. But it is still in a very strong emotional difference without a card, a, a role. And, I, and since we have all this free time in retirement, I get to be my own boss. Nobody tells us that. It's my time to shine. And I want to wake boomers up to say, where did you leave your joy? It's time to find your happiness. And quite likely, it's linked to something you're really good at and you don't know how good you are. Mm. <laughs> because when you use it for other people, it will light up their world. And now you both feel good. So uh, why why boomers? Why, why the emphasis on boomers? Well, because I am one. People don't believe it, but I'm 73, and so I brag about it. <laughs> mm -hmm. I'm starting to change my theory a little bit about maybe executives are more in line with the kind of people I want to work with that really don't want to waste their time. They want to get stuff done. They want to leave a legacy. And I'm not sure whether boomers are that hooked in. Besides, they're not that much on online or Facebook or, you know, they're out fishing or golfing, and yet they still, do they find that 24-7 satisfying? Mm -hmm. You know, because at some point, the meaning might escape what they're involved in. The meaning, the meaning, and the meaning is definitely important. So you're focusing on boomers, mainly because you're a boomer and you wanted to ask them, where have they left their joy? So would you say that anybody who is not a boomer has no issue with leaving their joy behind or forgetting where their joy is at. Well, Harry, you know, life gets pretty monotonous. Paying the bills, you know, the roof over your head, paying for your car, taking, getting kids in school, through school and all that stuff. 
kind of lulls us into a certain amount of apathy. Now, I've never married and never had kids. And I, that's one of the messages I want to get over across to millennials or actually anybody. People who live alone or don't have children, married or single, retirement is so different for them because there's not kids pulling on there. Come do this with me. Come to my game. Uh, come see my gra- my graduation, you know, whatever. And there's a whole lot more loneliness, isolation in their life. And you can help. Come on, join me doing whatever and, and put some joy in their life on purpose. And so, so tell me for because there's a lot of, you know, I don't. Many people aren't familiar with the word ageism, but there's a there's there's a lot of ageism out there. You know, people are at this point. A lot of young people are afraid to basically to to age. You know, there's a saying that I have, you know, we don't grow older. We grow newer as time goes on. And so, you know, it's about growing newer and getting deeper in that knowledge and understanding of who you are in relation to to the entire universe. But a lot of a lot of my peers and generations that come after me. They have difficulty. They a, a lot of them. The message is, and and please, this is this is this is me trying to articulate where they are. The message is, is that the boomers have nothing to tell us. You know, they're too traditional. They don't have anything to offer us. We don't. You know, they don't even understand. You know what's going on in today's time. And so that 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 prompted me to ask you this specific question. All right. So again, considering the major economic shifts, inflation, affordability shifts in industry, what advice can boomers give millennials regarding on that, on that specific dimension, financial wellness? Well, the, when I left Boeing, the mandatory saving for retirement was disappearing. So you have to be responsible for your own happiness, health, and wealth. A lot more than what I did because it was part of my job to put into retirement savings. But even for us boomers, we went through economic challenging times. How I got my foot in the door, even with a master's degree, was I was willing to start at the bottom of the ladder, even with a master's degree, and and say I'm willing to I wanted a job. I need to pay for my roof. Nobody's paid my way ever. So being responsible for your own livelihood, I've heard that a lot of millennials are still living with their parents. Is that pretty true, Harry? I mean, I don't live with my parents, but yeah, I have heard that millennials, you know, they a lot, a lot of, a lot of millennials are, it's taken a little bit longer to to get out you know there's a lot of shifts there college you know two four six now college even though they say four-year university they really have you on a six-year track and then and all of a sudden it's also become a business as well so you know they charge in my opinion they charge obscene rates for education and education should be guaranteed it should be a right for everyone to get an education it should not be a financial thing you know and so these for me, they 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 solidify or further cement these layers of stratification. But yes, a lot of millennials are struggling more so now to become more independent. The I believe that the job industry also is much different now, the range, because during the 60s, 70s, definitely 50s, 60s, 70s, it seems like it was more along the lines of factory work, you know. And so somebody 
you know, if you wanted a job, there's a factory. You go down there, get the job, you know, for millennials now. They're trying to find, you know, I, I, I know people who graduated college with two and three degrees and can't find a job, you know. So how how can the advice, you know, how can the wisdom of how you overcome changes, you know, during that time? How, how please help us, because I know that the same principles apply no matter what, that universal principles apply no matter what, because they're timeless. So help millennials transition, help us to to understand how to navigate our ways through this terrain, even though this is unfamiliar territory for everybody, including boomers. Yeah. The movie I like to refer people to is The Intern with Robert De Niro, where he goes in and he's being some kind of an assistant to a bunch of younger people. And yet he starts getting making judgment calls and suggestions to the CEO, which is a young lady. And there's a, seems like there's another one. Oh, the, the other person I want to mention is Chip Conley. Now he went into the Airbnb industry after having built a very successful high-end kind of hotel business. And his owners, the owners of the Airbnb I understand were in their 20s. I don't know how young a 20, but he learned from them technology. They were the savvy technology ones. Well, he was the expert on hotel and uh, leisure resort areas. So at some point in the meetings that they would sit around conference tables, sometimes he was the learner and sometimes he was the expert. Now he's, I think he's early 60s now. He's, he's created a modern elders academy in the Baja California area. And he's helping a lot of us elders do that same assessment about where is my nugget of expertise and how can I influence industries and go back into them as both a learner and an expert? Mm, okay. All right. All right. I got so it seems like pluralistic thought. Like you have to be, it seems like even 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 now, well, definitely now with the pandemic, we're in unconventional times. And so, of course, that requires unconventional solutions. In the words of Albert Einstein, tomorrow's solutions or tomorrow's problems can't be solved with today's thinking. And so we have to continue to evolve. But that the universal principles that operate existence remain the same no matter what. They're timeless. And so it's about identifying how to first identify and being aware of those principles and then learning how to make them applicable in this specific present moment. So I have another question for you, of course. My next question for you is, what does courage mean to you? Well, I'll give you a a picture of my book here. Courage is... I'm finding the last even couple months that courage has quite a spiritual element to it. Mm. You know, it's it, it has a lot of element of looking at risk and having the gumption, the grit, the belief in yourself that I'm willing to take that risk. I think I can measure up to what this demands of me. And I think so often, there's so many laws that keep us safe, safe, safe. Well, courage isn't exactly safe. And I think there's an element in our in our makeup that, that rises to the occasion with courage. I was in a conversation a month or two ago about Braveheart and the courage that 
and the risk that he faced in in being willing to count the costs, you know, whatever it takes. And there's a there's an element that you know you get a backbone and you get a it's just a and so I don't I can't quite I haven't gotten clear enough yet to what is the spiritual element about that other than it seems like like the life calls us we become bigger and better than what we knew we could be with courage so you know my definition of courage is the ability to move forward in spite of being afraid for me Fear is a natural state, the default state of the mind. The mind is constantly looking for things, threats, assessing the environment for threats, looking for things to be afraid of. But if you if if the brain, if you operate according to the mind and its desire to just keep you alive, merely existing is not the same as living. And so courage gives you the ability to truly live because then you move beyond operating in the space of your fears and choosing how to be safe. Instead, you choose to move towards what actually lights you up. You begin living in your truth. And that requires courage because it's scary to live in your truth in a world where everybody wants you to take on their truth and don't want you to have any type of individuality or uniqueness. You know, people still want you to operate as a factory worker, a Ken and Barbie doll, you know? No, 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 no. Everybody, not even twins, have the same fingerprints. We were all designed to be unique in our own right. And living in your truth, being lit for life is about discovering that and operating in that no matter how much life tells you to be like something else other than yourself. It's about moving from the, from what you've inherited based off your fears to what is inherently yours before you became afraid to live life. Does that, does that sort of kind of sum up what you were thinking about with courage? Well, yeah, I have to admit when I wrote my book, I was born and raised in Washington State. I moved all the way across the country to Tampa, Florida with my job. And it wasn't long after I got there that I remember stomping my foot several times a day, maybe, and saying I refuse to live my life based on fear. You know, I knew three or four people in our company that moved down there ahead of me, but but I had been I had been reading um Stephen Covey's book, Seven Habits Highly Effective People. And for some reason, the Joshua, the book of Joshua in the Bible has lots of do not fear, be of good courage, be of great courage. And I would say that over and over, be of good courage, of great courage. And somehow I broke that fear thing over my life. So all fear does not even hardly enter into my book. And that might make my book a little hard to swallow, but it might have been about that time too. I don't remember exactly when, but I started asking myself, how much do I believe the Bible? You know, I've been raised in church, but how much do I really believe? It? And mm, is it 10 or 20? Well, it's probably more like 40, maybe 50%. No, it's probably in, in when I moved to Dallas that I had a pastor that said, spoke quite often on uh, nothing is impossible with God. All things are possible. And I, there's something about being curious, like a three-year-old that helps you start thinking about, you know, if they want to get in that cabinet or through that door or into the toy box that's been locked, they will try to figure out what, how, how to do it. And we, are in a different mind space when we think about possibilities and being curious. 
So I preach a lot of possibility and curiosity in my book. And that applies to any age, right, Harry? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Curiosity is one of the core tenets of uh, internal family systems, one of the one of the treatment modalities that that I've uh, been trained in. I'm level one training in, in internal family systems theory. But curiosity is everything for me. You know, curiosity is it's I mean, think about the Wright brothers and them being curious about how to create a plane, you know, how to make humans fly like birds. You know, curiosity is everything for me. Curiosity, it allows your mind to be open and the mind is like a parachute. It only works when it's open. And so curiosity is that bridge that that allows you to face the xenoph- the natural xenophobia that we all have, which is the this natural fear of new things that we all have, you know, and it's built into our our DNA as a survival mechanism, you know. But we are not we're not just our minds. That's what we have to understand. The mind was created last. The mind believes that the body is an extension of it, when in reality, the mind is an extension of the body. And so when you operate from your heart space, now you begin to allow your mind to be used for what it actually is, which is a tool. Now you're guiding your mind towards and guiding your awareness towards things that actually mean something to you. Ergo values. A value is something that is important to you. And when you decide to live from a values-based place, now you've activated, now you've become lit for life. Now you're living in your truth. You know? And so I believe that our missions are uh, honestly one and the same. You know, I mean, your, your target crowd may be boomers, but everything that you're saying to boomers are what I'm saying to millennials, you know? Yeah, I, I have been, okay, so I drove Lyft for a year to pay off a debt. And I was quite surprised at how many young people said, my parents need to hear what you're saying. And so I, I'm chewing on the fact of developing a speech presentation that's especially to the kids of boomers, because oftentimes we're too close sometimes to things that are bothering us. We'll go into a quiet mo- mode or we'll, we'll go on long walks or silent treatments or something. But if somebody comes along like their kids and start asking them, hey, how are you handling retirement? How are you feeling with how it's going for you? And have one of the principles I learned before leaving my last job was the power of a neutral third party. You know, you and I can be into a, you know, test conversation, but a neutral third party that's listening, they can lob in a, a question that can diffuse the tension or that gives a new perspective or may have forgot, I might have forgotten a key element that is important to the whole discussion. So a neutral third party asking where they have no skin in the game, that's the benefit of the neutral third party. Uh, uh, I, I think if you want your parents to be around for your kids' wedding, they need to live longer for them to be there and to live longer. They need to be enjoying retirement and that whole curiosity and meaning actually decreases your healthcare costs. You know, I I have one medicine that I take and I'm not even sure I need that, but you know, I've never spent a day in the hospital. So all the costs of healthcare doesn't apply to me, but it applies to a lot of people. You know, so, that fear has made them incapacity or cancer. You know, I think cancer and fear are kind of bedfellows, but. Mm-hmm. 
Oh, yes, yes. As a heart-centered hypnotherapist, I can t- I can assure you that they are definitely, I mean, you, you probably read the book, The Body Keeps the Score, but they are definitely, for every thought that we have, there's a congruent impact on the body. You know, the mind and body, even though Western medicine in the past has treated the mind and body as, as, as separate, I've never seen a headless body walking around before, you know, and so now they're finally getting, <laughs> right? Uh, <laughs> but so, so, so now they're finally getting the picture. Now more, more, th- more doctors are actually referring to therapists before, you know, I mean, it's still some, some doctors still treat social workers, therapists, anybody without a medical degree as peons, you know, but now because we're actually having such a great we're doing such such wonders as far as helping people improve their overall quality of lives and they're learning that most people are not trusting medical doctors anymore now now people are more more or less engaged in holistic medicine and and mo- the majority of the people engaged in hol- holistic medicine that has a doctor they won't tell their doctor that because they don't trust them with that information now they're beginning to come around and say okay well maybe these maybe these peons in the mental health field maybe they maybe they know a thing or two you know, <laughs> you can well, fix the arm, but who fixes a heart? How do you fix a mind? How do you fix a spirit? You know, doctors don't get trained in that, you know, uh, but please, please. I'm sorry. Well, yeah, I forgot what I was going to say. I, I plan to lift a hundred and I plan to, well, I plan to get married someday <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and I plan to continue. Well, my, my goal is to be able to put like 50 young women through college. That would be so satisfying to me. Okay, let me tell you a story about about one of, well, I wanted to put him in my book and I went to go back and find the story and I never did. But it was a East Indian man that he, I would guess his age from the picture I saw of him, he looked to be maybe 55, 65 years old. And he knew the amazing thing, he was a man. He knew that if eight and nine-year-old young girls in India was trained on computer skills, they'd never be sold into child sex trafficking. Moms might understand that, but for a man to take on the responsibility, train people in his home country on computer skills, that just moved me so deeply. He was, it was time for him to leave the legacy and he found a critical spot because young girls would were uh, used to bring an income into the homes, you know. So that was such a powerful story that I'm trying to think of another similar story. Oh, so real quick on that story, on that note, you. So where is this located? The uh, this person was located where? Well, he, he sounded like he was an American because his English was so perfect. He he was a tall. A dark man, you know, that he had gray beard and gray hair a little bit, not a lot, but he, he, he said it was time for him to leave a legacy. And he connected the dots that young girls are used for money in East Af- East India to, to be sold into sex trafficking. And Yet, if they could provide fam- uh, money income for their family, they would cons- circumvent that being sold into in order to bring income into the family. So the family themselves were also permitting their children being sold into sex slavery, sex trafficking, so they could bring income home. And this man saw the problem and yeah. said, 
I want to provide skills that would prevent their families from actually selling their children into this. Okay. Okay. I got that. I got that. That is, yes, that is a man. Profound. A, yes. Yeah. So a, there's, there, well, and, and I think where I saw his story was in something called Encore.org, which is now become, it was, they created a purpose prize and the purpose prize has now been taken on by AARP and 8, 10, 12 people a year get some financial backing to do what they, when they win this award. And another man that I knew from a gospel singing group, he, he uh, worked with the children of people in prison because he was aware that there was a cycle that goes on with if the dad's in prison, the kids will wind up in prison. So started that whole mindset, training the family on a different uh, perspective of what life's all about and the principles of life. And he had won the Purpose Award one year. Mm-hmm. Yes, as I as I like to say, ignorance and freedom cannot coexist. And so generations, this is true for everybody. We, If the parents don't break the cycle, then it's inherited by the kids. And no matter who you are, you inherit it until somebody stands up and says, I'm going to be the one that breaks the cycle. You know, uh, a big part of, of of me stepping out of my comfort zone and doing this, because let me tell you, I, I, I'm a preacher's kid. And so, you know, I know you may not know uh, much about my history, but actually, you know, preacher's kids, they go through a lot. You know, the, the, the people's addiction to idols and whatnot, you're picked apart, judged constantly. And so that that is that that revolves my that my trauma revolves around being seen, because to be seen means to be picked apart. But yet and still, I'm over here talking to you who I've never met before on this platform that I'm going to broadcast to the world. I'm on Instagram. I'm on Facebook now. How did that happen? Courage, courage, because I knew life was pushing me down this way. Until this day, I still don't have any you know, desire to be Instagram or famous or anything like that. But to put that mission out there, to wake people up, because so many people are suffering across the board, across the board, you know, and so many, I, I, look, I've worked in a, the emergency room of one of the, one, a major hospital in Louisiana. And I can't tell you how many children came through there, not only from abuse situations, but also abuse in school, because schools are not only under underfunded, but you don't, teachers, a lot of teachers may not have the training or may not have the resources, don't have the help to deal with the issues that are going on with the child, because you're dealing with the whole child and not just their ability to learn. And so I've had children come through that have attempted to end their lives because they couldn't get their nails done or hair done or something along those lines or get a uh, demo for prom, because for them, that was worse than death. You know, and we're talking about bullying is a big thing in the schools. And and so the avoidance of that. And I had to I had to teach these parents now that, oh, they don't you know, these kids, they don't know what the hell going on. I mean, I got real bills. They over here. He tried to kill himself because I didn't get him a limo for prom. Understand what these things represent symbolically and what that meant. What was what was lost in that space? All pain is subjective. You know, and so that's one of the things I knew that before the ER, but I definitely picked that up on. uh, It was solidified and cemented via my experiences at the ER with so much trauma. And so definitely understand this. Everything we do is a practice and whatever we practice, we become. And so if you practice living inauthentically or outside of your values or based off of fear your entire life, then 
fear is what you're going to choose and you get exactly what you have. But whenever you decide to to face your fears, you understand that freedom exists on the other side of your fears. You realize that even sailboats are safest at the harbor, but they were never built to remain docked. And so when you decide to take that risk and go out there and put it all on the line, that's when life unfolds herself to you. And then synchronicity kicks up. And then you have experiences that you never dreamed you would ever have before. Okay. Take courage. Go ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> What's going on? What's going on with that? I, when I started coaching school, I, I told the story that very first day that I was going to wear, I told my, my friend that I was going to the next weekend wear a hat to her birthday party. And they actually asked me to bring the hat in the next day. Well, I not only brought in one hat, I brought in five or six hats. And the, the subtlety of your subconscious wanting to express something is my point here. Later in the school year, I came in from lunch and I stomped my foot again. I slapped the table and I said, it's not okay to be invisible. Where did that come from? So on my launch of my book next week, I'm having people bring their favorite hat. And I'm going to tell my story of my hat. I, I've collected a few hats. I don't normally wear them much. You know, the older grandmas would wear the hats. But it, was, it seemed like something that was bubbling up. So I guess my point to your listeners is when, when you have a hunch that you want to try something, you may not understand that it's something bubbling up from your subconscious that wants to be expressed. So if that, well, in fact, a couple of the podcasts that I've done was for, they like the going from feeling invisible to queen of courage. And the uh, story that's linked with it right after I retired, I think it was three, four months later that I, I attended a webinar online that was about mental strength. Well, you hear mental health, but mental strength? Well, this guy says, if you, if you need some extra courage going into a tough conversation or, or presenting to somebody or whatever, he says, recall to mind a warm memory. For him, he felt a warm memory when he learned how to fly a plane and in his picture was this four-year-old boy in the back seat that he got to give his son a ride in an airplane. Well, my warm memory had to do with third grade Christmas program. And I've, I've shared that often, but two or three weeks later, I said, well, why not? Why just have one warm memory? Why don't I see how many you know memories I could come up with in the shock that it was another key to courage was that list, half of them were in front of people. Mm. Was I in the wrong career? Was I supposed to be in front of people? Mm. And then I started acting as if that might be true. And so when somebody approached me about having a podcast, well, maybe I do have something to say. And then, you know, I grew it from there. Hmm. Well, I mean, you grew it from there. I mean, you, you have a podcast now and you grew it. So talk about the growing part. So right now, well, you know what? I have a, I have a question for you. I have a question for you before because I see the time and I'm having a great time with you, but I'm looking at the time right now. And so 
my question for you, and I think that this will help you to some to really hone in and, and, and sum everything up for everybody, boomers and millennials alike, your crowd and my crowd alike. But I believe that that it's everybody's crowd, to be honest with you. Wisdom is wisdom and wisdom is good for all ages, you know, and nobody has a monopoly on wisdom. So when you hear it, just listen, you know, not not you, but I'm saying to my people out there, you know. All right. So my question for you is to please or request rather is please connect your personal brand slash mission statement to being lit or living in truth or life. Well, what I say in some of my courage, I did a series on courage to be seen, courage to do, courage to have, be Courage to be ourselves requires a lot of courage. The world wants to compare us to each other. What's different between Harry and Karen? You know, how can they? No, God doesn't compare us to anybody. He wants us to be our unique self and to the courage and the risk to live from that faith that he ain't making any junk anymore ever and he made us the way we are for a very good reason and to to fully know that i know i used to say well it's easy to say i'm not good enough or i'm not young enough or old enough or whatever i i've always wanted to be cherished and it was just maybe six months ago that i realized i could cherish myself what a novel idea but to say, I am enough, I have enough, and to go from a positive mindset is amazing. I, I've often wished my, oh, I can't afford this, I can't afford that, I can't, I can't afford that yet. Be curious about where it could come from. So maybe I'm not old enough yet, but maybe I need to what's, uh, be an outlier and prove somebody wrong. Hmm. Come on now. And going back to my personal mission statement to assist their, uh, to assist others in developing the audacity, audacity to live unapologetically authentic. Audacity is boldness because it takes courage to be yourself in a world that tells you to be anything but yourself. And when you try to be yourself, you're too much of a bad thing and too little of a good thing, no matter what the standards are. That's that's the image. That's what they put out there, you know. And so understand that. Be, to be voice. Yeah. That that critical voice, you know, in my I have an ebook out right now that I recently released is called Choosing to Heal from the Inside Out. And in that ebook, I'm specifically talking about repressed emotions because far too many of us repress our emotions, which then leads to a sort of emotional, a, a an emotion, the protector that comes out whenever our shame is triggered, because when we don't deal with our stuff, it creates these triggers. In my opinion, it creates these triggers that remain unresolved. Triggers are no more than areas of unresolved trauma for me. And so when these triggers sound off, we become possessed by the emotion of our our ego protectors in that state. You know, and then later on, we shame ourselves for the way that we behave when our ego protector went up. But in reality, what's happening is because we refuse to deal with what's going on on the inside, it's, it, ma 
it's being spilled over. It's being spilled. We are being possessed by it and it's being spilled over. There's a saying, we don't see things as they are. We see them as we are. And you're talking about switching from negativity to positivity. Well, whatever you stare at becomes your reality. And so if you if you move from negativity to positivity, if you see the beautiful things in life because you have limited attention, your mind has limited space. And so you have limited attention in his conscious mind. And so you have to choose wisely about what you're going to pay attention to. You can't be paying attention to both something that's that's negative and something that's positive, all the negatives in life and all the positives in life. So choose one. And when you choose the positive, whatever you stare at becomes a reality. And then you start to realize that all of these positive things begin to occur to you. And you think that these things are that really you are attracting. And that's true. You are attracting these things to you. But in reality, what you're doing is manifesting your 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 authority to choose these experiences for yourself. The experiences, what type of relationship you want to have with life, you can choose that. You just have to be intentional about doing so. And so, sister, let me give you I'm going to I'm going to get out of here and I'm going to let you give just, you know, a last a last word to the people. And then I'm going to come back on and close us out. All right. Okay. All right. All right. One of the things I did have done this last year is because people often say, well, what, what do you do when you wake up in the middle of the night or have a hard time going to sleep? And I've decided the best thing to do when you can't go to sleep is pray for somebody, something. And uh, so I've got this list of 20 people that as I'm going to sleep, I pray for. And as I'm waking up, I pray for the same group of people. And while I'm thinking about them and praying for them, Oftentimes I get little messages. How cool. Magic. That something I need to do about the day or or something I need to follow up on. But the other thing that I've started doing lately is that intentional what, how do I want the day to go? If I'm meeting with somebody, how would I want, what would I want the outcome to be? If I'm, and what, along with that intention is, listening to that still small voice inside of me. I am, I'm not perfect yet, but I'm starting to avoid all that brainwashing of advertisements and people that want to come help you, come help. Well, no, what if I was to listen to my own authentic footsteps for today, my intentions for today? If I listen to that small voice inside, I'll be doing what I need to be doing. The essence, my essence starts out with, I am precious jewel of wisdom. Well, if I really trust that God put inside of me the best he has for me, then I will listen to what's my truth for today. I want to encourage you to start living from your intentions, from your heart, from your DNA essence that your inner spark can guide you on a perfect path. And it is going to be so, I am starting to refer to it as heaven on earth. And I, I use that term in my book because when we're no longer frustrated and, and fearful and comparing ourselves to other people, we can live from what is inside us and makes us happy. So it's not easy to to do that. I'm getting better, but I think heaven on earth might be an ideal life to live full of fulfillment and, and wholeheartedness. 
Mm-hmm. I don't I don't know if I like this angle right here. My head is way too big for that. So my back is back up. So let me just let me just say, yeah, sister, we are in an alignment. We are in an alignment. And again, that wisdom is wisdom is good for everybody. It ain't good for a certain age group. It's good for everybody. But your your emphasis on on essence and I was going to bring it up, but now I had to bring it up. So, you know, I'm releasing a course at the end of this month, you know, it had to be put off on hold because of Hurricane Ida. I was going to do it the anniversary of Hurricane Katrina, but now I'm going to release it uh, this month. But in there is a chapter, part of a chapter that says, Essence Precedes Presence. That's the title of my chapter, Essence Precedes Presence. And so speaking to, tapping into that part of you that's, that's timeless, that's true, you know, that's real, you know, that, that makes up your true DNA, your spiritual DNA, what, what you got? What you got? Come on. Passion has the ability to light a spark in all of us. Exactly. And, and let me tell you, passion must yield to what's prudent. But understand that when you live in your truth, you will tap into an endless source of fuel to do those things that are most important to you. And you're just you're amazed at what you can accomplish whenever you're living in your truth. Yes, it may be hard to go to a job that you can't stand and work with people that you can't stand and do duties and obligations that you can't stand only to have to meet requirements, agency requirements that you can't stand and get a paycheck that when you look at it, you just can't stand. But when you when you start to operate from a place of authenticity, let me tell y'all, I love what I do. And I tell my people that all the time. I love what I do, you know, and they actually when I interact with with people of like minded, you see iron sharpens iron and that energetic exchange of sharing that we're doing. It helps to build us up just today. This is my fifth podcast today. And I'm not and I'm not done yet, you know, because this is in alignment with my truth, my mission is to assist others in developing the audacity to live unapologetic, authentic. And that requires me to be seen, even though I once felt that I was invisible as well. It requires me to be seen. And so, sister, thank you. And I, I just appreciate you being here. But go ahead. Last words. Go ahead, you got well, it. just that. So when I think of passion that fits you like a glove, I often I'm passion. I think of re- people in uh, restaurants that are enjoying their job and they're so good at it. It's like, it fits them like a glove. But my other thought, Hmm. Oh, that I've been, I've been planting seed, even though I haven't made a lot of income with clients. I am the principle of planting seed. will have a, a harvest. I'm counting on that harvest because I've been faithfully planting seed. And even if you're in a job that you do not like, you can still be planting seed. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. And so where there's definitely a will, where there's a will, there's definitely a way. And so, sister, I thank you again. Do you mind sitting backstage for just a moment while I uh, talk to people? All right. I appreciate it. Yes. Yes. Thank you. And so, y'all, we have Sharon Ralph here. Amazing, amazing, amazing individual. And she's letting you know that it doesn't age. Age ain't nothing but a number, y'all. You know, it's as long as you have breath in your lungs, you have an opportunity to choose. And what I believe she is saying, as well as I am saying, is with that choice, choose you. Thanks for watching another episode of the Is That So Show. Mad love and respect, agape, and stay lit, my people. Tell your time what to do, or does your time tell you what to do? Are you living or are you merely existing? 
Are you constantly reacting or are you responding to life? Mixed beliefs create confusion and confusion creates a life of stagnation. Desire change? Visit www.becomeanoutlier.com slash about. That is www.becomeanoutlier, becomeanoutlier.com slash about. A-B-O-U-T to start your journey. Stay tuned for more episodes and keep listening to the nocturnal therapist himself, Harry Turner.